United China was the first organized group, I think, as far as I know of. Uh-huh. And I had a friend that worked down at the depot. The depot? What kind of? Uh, the train depot. Uh-huh. That's when the train used to come in. Right. And um, he was gay. And um, he asked me, he was going to a meeting one night and asked me if I'd like to go along. I said, yes, I'll go. So we went into somebody's home. I didn't know what home it was, but I, I went in. There was a group of guys sitting there. I imagine 10 or 12 maybe, talking about it and going over experiences together helped me to realize, well, maybe I'm not the only one. Were you scared? No, I nothing to be scared about. Uh-huh. No, I think I scared them worse than this. <laughs> Why did you scare them? Well, I was the only black one. Wendell Sayers was born in 1904 in Nicodemus, Kansas, a town created for ex-slaves after the Civil War. All of his grandparents were former slaves. I grew up in a very segregated society, which kept me always aware that I was different. If anything went wrong in the town, it was always I who did it. It's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Sayers is being interviewed here in 1989 by historian Eric Marcus. Wendell was adopted by William Sayers and Sarah Bates, who had no children before Wendell. William's brother George and Sarah's sister Mary had eight children, and when Wendell was born, they gave their youngest to their younger siblings. After Wendell, William and Sarah adopted two more children. And uh, gradually I discovered that I was different. And uh, I thought I was the only one in the world. I remember one time when I first discovered that things were not right, I, uh, I mean, sexually, mm-hmm. that I uh, wanted to kill myself. Do you remember how old you were? I'd say about 15 then. What did you, do you remember what you, what you thought, how you realized you were different? Well, I knew I didn't care anything about girls. Everybody else was chasing after girls, and I couldn't figure out why. This didn't make sense to me, and still doesn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. So you thought about, about killing yourself? I thought one time I just didn't want to go through life with this way, and uh, I didn't know other way to keep from it. Uh-huh. And I was just completely uh, down and out, so to speak. I gave up, practically. Wendell's mother, Sarah Bates, was a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union and other groups. His father, William, attended Washburn College, where Wendell will later earn his law degree. Finally, my dad came to me one day and told me what uh, he had heard. Whether he heard it, what, how he found it out, but somebody must have told him. What did your dad hear? He didn't tell me, he told me things, he told me that he had heard that I was not natural, sexually. He said, we'll go to a Mayo Clinic, get your examinations and see if we can find out what caused it, what to do about it. 
So he puts Mother and I in the car, and we go up to uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, okay. That was back in the days you couldn't get a place to stay, you couldn't get a place to eat. Because you're black. Because you're black. What did you do? Buy crackers and bologna in the store and take them out and eat them, stuff like that. Where did you sleep? Got a tent. We got one of these uh, 10 by 12 tents. And we stayed in the tent at night. Take all of that and put it together. It's awfully hard on anybody. Don't care whether he's white or black, green or yellow. Right. That kind of pressure is terrific. How old were you then? I was still quite young. Were you still in high school? Yes, I think I was still in high school. You must have been terrified. I was terrified. Now they've had me in the hospital for in and out for several days. Did they ask you questions? Oh, yes. All kinds of questions. They determined that that was homosexual and that there was nothing they could do about it. And um, final report from Mayo's was that um, according to their state laws that I should be, they should report me and have me incarcerated. Incarcerated? Yeah. For what? Because I was different. Put in jail? In jail. They said that since I was a, um, a client of theirs, they would not do that. So we went back home and reported to Dad. I like to say this, that I was a, an adopted child. Mm-hmm. And I often used to wonder as a kid, what will he do when he finds it out, see? Will he put me out or kick me out or will he accept me? My dad was very understanding. I say understanding, I don't think he actually understood, but he was willing to accept, I should say. Mm -hmm. So he finally told me, he says, well, since they don't know what to do about it, find you a friend that you can trust and bring them home. He says, I don't want you playing around on the streets or out on the country roads because you never know who's going to step up behind you or slip up on you. Bring them home. What you do in your room is your business because they didn't want me out on the street. That helped me a lot. At least I was loved by my father. And of course, mother, she just idolized me regardless. They were remarkable people. As I look back, I didn't think so at the time. (laughs) No one thinks his parents are remarkable (laughs) at the time. But as I look back, I can certainly uh, appreciate them. Yeah. Wendell starts a private practice in Denver in 1945, working on civil rights cases. A decade later, he's attending Denver Mattachine meetings organized by Elver Barker. Wendell Sayers attends the 1959 6th Annual Convention of the Mattachine Society. Ask me something. Okay. Well, there were no organized gay groups when you were here first year in Denver. Mattachine was the first organized group, I think, as far as I know of. Uh Uh-huh. And I had a friend that worked down at the depot. The depot? What kind of? Uh, The train depot. Uh Uh-huh. That's when the train used to come in here. Right. And um, he was gay. And um, 
He asked me, he was going to a meeting one night and asked me if I'd like to go along. I said, yes, I'll go. So we went into somebody's home. I didn't know whom it was, but I, I went in. There was a group of guys sitting there. I imagine 10 or 12, maybe. I went first place, I'd say, to, to know or to meet somebody who was like me. I mean gay by that. Mm -hmm. That was my primary purpose in going. Uh, it developed later, or as uh, time went on, that once I found there were others besides me, I was much better able to accept myself. Can you elaborate on that at all? What you, what you mean by that? Well, you see, to me, I was always a, a, a thorn in the flesh to me. Because I was gay. You were your own thorn. I was my own thorn. And this, uh, this uh, talking about it and going over experiences together helped me to realize, well, maybe I'm not the only one. Were you scared? No, I had nothing to be scared about. Uh -huh. No, I think I scared them worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you scare them? Well, I was the only black one. Oh, 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 oh. And they probably weren't, they weren't accustomed to having any contact with blacks. They weren't accustomed to having any contacts with blacks. So I come in and uh, once I found somebody else besides me that I, that would say they were gay. See? Up until that time, no one had said? I knew a few. Right. But I mean to have a group. Mm -hmm. I had never been in that sort of situation before, see. I was completely happy to find somebody. Because I thought I would be accepted and a part of the crowd. Mm -hmm. And I was really happy the first meeting I went to. Guys were not friendly. They weren't friendly. But that was all right. They didn't know me. Uh -huh. All they knew was I was a lawyer. And they were afraid of me, I think, because I was a lawyer. They were terrified of the law. What's this guy doing here? Who's he going to turn in the city? Uh -huh. Were you concerned about your practice when you went to, the, to, to this first meeting? I was concerned about my practice at every meeting I ever went to. Uh -huh. I, was, I was working for the Attorney General's office at the time. Oh, you must have been really concerned. First black ever up there. The first black to work for the Attorney General in, yeah. in, in um, Denver. Denver. At my office right there in the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. So. Every time I went to Mattachine, I was as scared as the rest of them. Boy, I wasn't scared of the same thing as they was. <laughs> Just imagine the Denver Post would come out, front page. First black in the Attorney General's office, turns out to be. You throw yourself off the Capitol for that one. I sure would. I had been raised so much as an underdog. I just would have done anything if I could have taken a step higher, see. Regardless of my gayness, I was still somebody. Did they ever ask you legal questions? They would ask me, sometimes I'd volunteer, they'd talk about something. Once in a while I'd volunteer a little legal information. Mm -hmm. But to be, a, I was not a hired or paid consultant. 
just volunteer. Everything was volunteer back mm -hmm. in those days. I remember one time I set up a one boy had got himself cut with a whole lot of nude pictures. Mm -hmm. And of course they took him down to trial. And beforehand, why uh, I don't know whether he asked me or the society asked me or what, but anyhow, I knew the judge. The judge happened to be gay and I happened to know it. So I went down and thought I made arrangements with the judge to when this case comes up. You were gutsy. You were nuts. Plum nuts. As I look back now, I was plum nuts. I can't deny it. I went down and asked the judge, talked to him personally, told him this guy was coming in and uh, I wish he'd be as lenient on him as he could. And damn it. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> when come time for the trial, the judge took that day off. <laughs> he didn't want anything to do with it. Huh? He didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want anything to do with it. But I was kind of glad afterwards that I had warned him ahead of time. Right. Because he and I were good friends. We had nothing between us but just good friends. Right. And I, I think he knew me and I think I knew him. Mm -hmm. So he just took that day off when this guy was full of school. So you advised on, on a number of cases like that then? That's the only one. The only I one. Think. I think that was the only one. But you stuck your neck out. That was, oh, a, that was way out. That was way out. I wonder somebody didn't chop it off. It's a wonder somebody didn't chop it off. You must feel like God's been watching over you. God has carefully. watched over me, I'm telling you, ever since the day I was born. <laughs> yes, sir, definitely. Wendell Sayers' father died in 1956, leaving an estate of $115,000, more than a million dollars today, requesting part of his estate to be used to help African Americans find food and housing without discrimination based on their race. Wendell was the first black lawyer working for the Colorado Attorney General, and in the 1960s, he became the first black assistant attorney general for the state of Colorado. Wendell later retired and went back to school, to the University of Denver, to earn his bachelor's degree in music performance and theory. He attended church and shared his love of music. He had an electric organ in the center of his living room, which he showed historian Eric Marcus during their 1959 interview in Denver. Interview with Wendell Sayers, Saturday, January 14, 1989. Location is the home of Wendell Sayers in Denver, Colorado. Interviewer is Eric Marcus, tape one, side one. Wendell was 84 years old at the time, and he used the pseudonym for Marcus's book. He lived another decade until almost his 94th birthday in 1998. Since then, Eric Marcus's podcast, Making Gay History, hired a genealogist to find much of the information we know about him today, including that Wendell Sayers has appeared in multiple volumes of Who's Who in Black America. Wendell Sayers Audio is used courtesy of Making Gay History. Find the Making Gay History podcast on all major podcast platforms and at makinggayhistory.com. Thank you to Eric Marcus for allowing me to share this audio. His podcast has dozens of interviews with people across multiple eras of LGBTQ activism. Check it out, makinggayhistory.com. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. I'm Devlin Camp. Ooh. You must feel like God's been watching over you. God has carefully. watched over me, I'm telling you, ever since the day I was born. <laughs> yes, sir, definitely.